Welcome to the show, everyone, and thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you to our our host, Dean Jorge Venegas from the College of Architecture of Texas A&M University. Thank you so much for having us here in this amazing room. Uh, it should not surprise me that uh, uh, people that do architecture would have really fantastic places to host something like this, I guess. Well, architecture is all about space, and I want to start by saying thank you for being here. This is unexplored territory for me. But that is the analogy of what we do in architecture. Everything is unexplored. We can repeat, 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 but otherwise that would make us just a Xerox copy of the past. We want to really design ahead. So thank you for noticing that this is the environment where our students present their work. So I'm very happy to have you here, and I hope that I can share with you some very interesting and different type of thoughts. Now, this is episode one, so uh, obviously you're someone that knows a whole lot about architecture. I'm someone that knows almost nothing about architecture. So this will be a fun little dynamic. I know a lot of people watching and listening to this probably have uh, a little more understanding of some of these principles than me, probably a little bit less uh, understanding of some of these principles than you. But the goal of this is to not only talk a little bit about architecture, but specifically talk a little bit about what architecture means at Texas A&M University, which I know is something that's uh, very personal to you. Uh, yes, it is. And in fact, we may be talking about architecture, but the whole point is how you go beyond architecture because our college is much, much more than just the discipline of architecture. So part of our goal is to actually engage in a conversation to make someone like you that said you don't know much, to actually not make an architect of you, but to understand where architects are coming, but at the same time, landscape architects, urban planners, construction people, facility managers, and even land and property development. So it's really beyond architecture. So what should people expect from the show? Is it going to be more like that, like surface level, or are we going to do deep dives or a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both. I could go very deep into several of these. But the problem is that if you look at it from a discipline perspective, all you're doing is reinforcing the silos that people see. My goal is to connect the silos. Because architecture as a profession has a lot of images that bring to mind what architects are supposed to do. And it's all about the world of design, design of buildings, design of structures. But in reality, it's a lot more the other way around, is that design of the world through buildings and structures, but framing it into the broader context of our urban environment, the broader context of the open spaces that go around the buildings, that tie the buildings, that tie the structures. It's about the land development and the infrastructure that you need for all of that. And somebody has to build it because architects do great designs. But if you don't build them, use them, maintain them, they're nothing more than nice sketches on a piece of paper. Well, let's start with the simple, and I, as simple as we can. For you personally, how do you define the term architecture? Architecture is one of those words that actually means two things. The process of architecture and the product of architecture, they unite. And in doing so, what you really have is look around you. It's about the form of the built environment. It's about the functionality within that built environment. It's about the aesthetics and the emotions that that built environment can cause on people. And it's about the materiality, the materials that come together. 
So when you start dissecting architecture from just that perspective of someone that lives in the built environment, we don't realize that architecture touches everything from the home you may wake up to the bus stop and how it looks to the office where you're going to work to the store where you buy. So it's really about what architecture does to enable the verbs that make you a human and make me a human on our daily lives. That's a lot deeper than than probably my the level when you come to me and say, hey, architecture. Uh, I think there's a lot of oversimplification there because to me, I think, oh, cool looking aesthetic of a building or cool looking aesthetic of a room or or something of that nature. But when you start talking about all of the different things that it touches, it, it, it that really is a drastic oversimplification, isn't it? It certainly is. Have you ever walked into a room and felt scared, felt oppressed by the space, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> felt liberated by the space, felt connected to nature in the space, right. felt comfortable in temperature and ventilation in all the things, because that's what architecture does. It deals with things that are not visible sometimes. And yes, there's a lot of technical issues associated with that. But architects are like the director of a symphony where all the different players have to play together in tune. So you may have the strings and you may have the winds and you may have the percussion, the same way that you have the plumbers and the electricians and the structural engineers playing all around the master director, which is the architect doing the form function and satisfying what people want. Architecture is for people. There's a lot of misconception that architecture is for architects and uh, some may be like that. But in reality, architecture is as old as we all are. And it takes many forms if you just open your eyes to the world. We talked about some of the preconceived notions about how architecture is something that just affects architects or even that an architect is just one guy who's sitting in a room doing the design when in reality it's a much larger collaborative project. What are some other mischaracterizations or preconceived notions that people run into when they're starting their journey into learning about architecture? Architecture requires, true architecture in my opinion, and by the way, all of this is my personal opinion over years of interacting with all kinds of disciplines. I think every discipline has their stereotype. I think every discipline has a way that people try to generalize, like you were saying. So if you look at an engineer, people look at the pocket protector, at the calculator, at the person that does quantitative type of things. You look at the architect, long flowing hair or just big, thick grasses. The superficial gets in the way of what the real profound meaning of architecture is all about. And in our college, that is something that really happens because our college has a name of architecture, but we have a department of architecture, which is the one that actually produces the licensed professionals that can practice architecture. Right. Not everybody can practice architecture. So when you look at all the other disciplines, I think that people don't see architects as the integrators, as the catalyst, as the people that direct the future of the built environment. You look at a hospital, a hospital through the eyes of a nurse is very different to the hospital through the eyes of the patient. That's true. Or the patient's family, or the doctor, or the people that have to clean it up, especially in our post-COVID area. We deal with all of that because it, architects are about integration of so many things 
But at the same time is how all those things integrated relate to the natural environment in today's world, to the virtual environment as well. So it's a lot more complex than just the stereotypes. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the College of Architecture, the Department of Architecture. With the College of Architecture, you've seen it all at this point. What do you consider to be the best kept secret of the College of Architecture here at Texas A&M? The best kept secret, in my personal opinion, and that may show a little bit of a bias, is that if you look at Texas A&M, you have the A for agriculture, and they have an extension program that is fantastic. You can have at any moment in time, ranchers and farmers coming to an extension office out of 250, out of 254 counties in the state. If you look at engineering, engineering has an extension program, both for research and also for actually applying what they do in research in real life. And they are peppered all over the state as well. Right. If you look at the other extension, which is a health, Texas A&M Health, they are looking at Healthy South Texas. They do families. Well, nobody talks about the extension program that we represent. So the best kept secret is that we deal with communities in building capacity for them to help solve their own problems without looking for a handout or without looking for Superman to fly in and solve their problems. And we do that along the whole border with Mexico with a Polonius program, which has been a state legislature mandate since 1991. And even older, another program we have, which is a Texas target communities that are the first ones that go when disadvantaged and vulnerable communities suffer from an hurricane or suffer from a blast in West or suffer from fires in Bastrop or suffer from a tornado. So we have that ability to transfer what we do, but working directly with people. So for us, engagement, I think, is when the amount of engagement and the type of engagement, I think, is one of the best kept secrets because we are not what you would call an official extension program, but we're very proud to say that we have had it for over 40 years. Yeah, that's incredibly impactful work, especially when you look at, at, like we were speaking about earlier, how much impact you can have through design, how much impact you can have through architecture. Why do you think that flies under the radar for so many people? I think part of it is historical. I think part of it is the fact that the professions that we serve don't really do as much as they could to engage the public in understanding all the things that we do that people cannot see. It's the visibility of an urban setting that is congested, that socially is full of crime or whatever. They can blame the planners. You can do a building, and for some people, it's an object of art, and for some people, it's the ugliest thing that can happen on the city. Right. So they're looking only at the exterior part. For me, in connecting the dots and integrating, goes directly to what the vision of the college is which is not brick and mortar. It's not steel and concrete. It's not drywall and wood. It's about people and it's quality of life for people. It's quality of place where people live, whether it's in the natural, in the built, or in the virtual environment. And it's quality of what people do in a place, quality of human endeavor in the social environment. So when you start talking about architecture and the College of Architecture, my best conversations are in people that are surprised that I'm not talking about theory or history or any of the things that normally get associated with architects. And even the most avant-garde architects, they are seen as technology wizards and they are seen all of that. I just connect the dots. I would never 
consider myself an architect, even though I'm licensed in my country of origin, Colombia. But here, I think that the other best kept secret is that if we were to connect the dots, we would be a power. We're going in that trajectory, but we would be a power that doesn't have much parallel because of the disciplines that we bring together. Well, let's talk a little bit more about people, specifically students, maybe prospective students that are looking at uh, at, at, at coming here. Let's describe, I guess, a little bit about what makes a, a good student here in terms of, I guess, what would be some of the qualities that a student would need to succeed here? Well, first, you need to have a passion for what you want to study. Coming here to just get a degree is probably not the best idea because it is demanding. And there is a culture where you have to give it all in terms of design is one of those things that can go on forever. So each one of our disciplines has a different identity, a different idiosyncrasy, a different kind of culture. But I would say that what unites all of them is the fact that we want people that have imagination that has not been killed by the system. We want people that are curious because we're injecting research and innovation and pushing the boundary of what is into the vision of what could be. We're talking about students that actually have creative thinking, but that's very different to innovative thinking. That's very different to design thinking. And we also, because of our relationship with other colleges, also are injecting entrepreneurial thinking. Now, there are two types of preneurs, the intra and the, the entree. Now, in that case, what we want is people, students, men and women, that can go out and affect change. And you already used a very important word, and that is impact. Impact to who? People as individuals at any stage of their life, from prenatal all the way to senior citizens. It's about people organized in families. It's organized with neighbors in communities. It's organized with peers in public or private organizations and all melded together in society at large. Our college is tremendously dedicated to justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And design should be blind to whoever you're doing it and should only remember that we have one planet, one race. And that's the way I see it. And I think that our college in general is achieving that through that fantastic work that our scholars, our faculty, some with many years of experience, some with tremendous research prowess. And the students benefit from that mix of faculty. We have physicists, we have people in the health professions, we have nurses, we have engineers, we have builders. Yes, we have architects, but we also have artists and we have computer scientists. When you bring that mix together, and I haven't even talked about the department that doesn't normally fit. And people say, why is that in the College of Architecture? And that's our department of visualization. But you've heard me say about the virtual environment. Right. That's what they do. So whether people are doing work in artificial intelligence or in artificial reality or advanced visualization of the world through information technologies, data analytics, simulation modeling, that's normally not associated with architecture. But we have tremendous scholars. So the students that we want are the ones that are receptive to go beyond the stereotypes that they think they're getting into a profession. They need to be open. We're the College of Possibilities, and we can actually map multiple trajectories for students that go on and make big things for the world. 
one former student that we had is responsible for the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world in Dubai. Wow. We've had people doing parks in Chicago. We have a tremendous architect that developed a multinational corporation for that. First architect in Japan that came from the U.S., licensed in Japan, Capital Visitor Center at the Capitol in our capital in D.C. So we have all kinds of examples, excellent trajectory on hospital design. So we want students that want to change as trite and as dear, as uh, what you call it, cliche as it may be, that want to really change the world. But for me, it's more about the impact that they can have on the people that they are living with, affecting with, interacting with. And that's my my dream. And you talk about that baseline of creativity being so important. And I guess let's talk about some of the things that maybe, uh, I guess, unique traits that might be valued too much if you're coming in to architecture as a freshman thinking, hey, this is what I want to do. What are some things that they might think are important that actually don't really play as big of a role in their success? I would say it's kind of a mixed bag. I think we're dealing with a whole generation of digital natives, people that have grown with technology and think that technology is everything. But technology is never going to replace the human angle of relating to a client or listening to a committee on what they want or understanding deeply an organization from within so that you can create the headquarters that they want. So it's that ability to not fall into the trap of the stereotype. And part of what we see is that what gets written about architecture, attracts some people. But my goal is to attract the people that are not necessarily attracted to star architecture, the right. big ones that everybody sees, you know, in all the outlines of the cities around the world. Architecture can be a simple home. And sometimes some of the best architecture are the ones that are not done by architects, but by people that just decide, this is how I want to function in my house. This is what I want my house to look. This is what I want to be happy in my house. So it's all about the environments that we enable by the creations that we make. Now, we talked about the the wide variety of disciplines and, and the scope of everything that, that's encompassed in the department. I mean, it's a lot of things. Is, yeah. there, is there a common theme to what makes the department go around? Being in a university like Texas A&M, we are bound and committed to pursue, I would say, the following angles. Number one. A&M is a tier one research institution. So whatever we do in any of the disciplines has to have an element of discovery, of innovation, of research through the scholarship of, yeah, discovery. We want to affect things that create new knowledge that will help others do what they do. In addition to that, in addition to the research prowess, we are also a triple designation, land grant, sea grant, and space grant. What that means is that everything that we do in research has to f end up serving the population of the people of Texas because we are a public institution. And by doing that, therefore, for us, is a scholarship of engagement. How do you engage with the professions that we serve? How do you engage with the communities that we serve through outreach? How do we serve both organizations in the professions and communities? out in society. So that's the second pillar. Right. The first one was research, the second one is engagement. But the obvious one, and the one that is number one, and that's the longest tradition of Texas a and 
is academic excellence. And that is where the students, the 70,000 plus students that we have, all get exposed, not only to great instructors and teachers, but to great learning experiences and opportunities in environments that are really pushing towards the future. So when you look at teaching, not as, you know, I like to say it, I, I still teach even as an administrator. You don't see students as empty vessels to just, you know, fill it in with my knowledge because I know more than they do. No, it's quite the opposite. It's to unleash what they have inside that they don't even know they have inside through creativity, innovation, design, entrepreneurship. And in today's world, you have to add another type of thinking, and that is digital thinking, not just being able to use Snapchat or Facebook. <laughs> it's about understanding the power of technology. And right. we have faculty that are doing technology-infused learning. We have faculty that are doing gaming as learning. And we're talking about serious gaming. We're not just talking simple games. We have faculty that are looking at building information modeling, where you have digital twins, not only of buildings, but of whole communities and cities. So yes, architecture can be one of those professions that's stuck in a model of the past. But here is where the past and the present and the future collide in the trajectory to a future. And that's what I'm very proud of leading. This might be a little bit of a tricky question because you mentioned the ability that it's at least possible to get stuck in the past. And, you know, we just went over a few things that are newer in terms of, you know, digital technology opportunities that you have just based on equipment that did not exist 10, 15, 20 years ago. Obviously, there's only so many hours in the day. Are there any things that you had to make a conscious effort to uh, step away from to make room for some of these new efforts? Well, there are things that you cannot cut away. You can never cut away history. Right. And we have a tremendous cadre of historians. And we still talk about Greece, and we still talk about the West, and we still talk about the East. So history is always part of that. But anybody can read history. We make history come alive through the buildings that we study. And every building is in response to a specific historical, political, social, economic, environmental context, even religious context. So that's still part of it. Mm -hmm. But it has an eye on the future because the question is, what can we learn from the past as we move ahead to the future? And from that set of things we have done come a lot of heuristics and they come a lot of algorithms and they come a lot of theories that can guide you in how to go in one way or another. Urban theory, building theory, design theory, construction theory. So yes, that will not go away. What has gone away and what I am hoping goes away is a kind of natural replacement from this idea that architecture students are 24-7. This building is known as Hotel Langford 24-7. And the idea is that we want them to take care of their health, physical, mental, emotional. So that is one thing that we're changing because architecture, that discipline alone, together with landscape architecture, urban planning, and to some degree visualization and construction are studio-based where the ratio of a professor with a certain number of students is actually quite low because they get a lot of attention. Right. But in terms of content, we were forced to leave a lot of things aside when at the undergraduate level, we were forced to go into 120 hours 
and we had programs that were in the 150 hours. So in that case, what you do is not just eliminate. What you do is you synergize by overlapping. You synergize by getting more for the buck of one project. We have a tremendous effort in interdisciplinary collaboration. So instead of having a course on design, on structural design, on geotechnical design, on electrical and mechanical, we integrate all that into integrative courses that can actually allow the students to know how things interrelate, interdepend on each other, and create the synergies to create the fantastic things that they do. Uh, one thing that we will never eliminate is the need for creative thinking. One thing that we are bringing back is that in this digital world of us, the idea of sketching by hand, the idea of not having a computer or a smartphone or a tablet when you're in the middle of a wonderful city and you look at something and you want to take a picture and your battery died in your phone, you should be able to take out a pen, a pad, and sketch. So there are some things that are very important. So we are constantly pushing the boundaries of pedagogy, building on the most pervasive form of pedagogy that we inherit over time. But I am very confident that as we move ahead, as we enter right now in the post-COVID area, the unexplored collision between face-to-face and virtual, that's becoming a complete game changer. We may not be the buildings that we have. Hospitals are exporting health through telemedicine. Schools discover that they can export education through teleeducation. Companies realize that they don't need all that real estate when half of their employees are at home, working at home, and with the same level of productivity or maybe a little bit less, but without the commute or anything. So it's an interesting, evolving horizon towards where we want to be part of the actors, not just spectators and much less just critics, and never oblivious bystanders saying what happened. I know that we're getting close to wrapping up for this episode, but with that said, next time I know we're going to take uh, a deeper dive into your vision and the vision of the department. Give everyone a preview of what that looks like. There are a lot of paradigms that surround what we do. And the first one is to open your mind to the world, to the universe of possibilities and the world of opportunities we have to affect change through what we do in our disciplines that are formally attached to academic programs or research programs. And I think that a lot of students don't realize from the beginning, well, what am I going to do? Well, you're going to design a home. Well, you can design a home in Beverly Hills, or you can design a home that can be multiplied by 50,000 units to support a whole refugee population or the effects of climate change or whatever. So it's how you frame the problem. So we're going to be going deeper on how all of our professions are being redefined by the context and the drivers in which we operate. But having said that, there are a whole bunch of paradigms that need to be changed because you're not going to affect that change without a will and a capacity to absorb that change. And those paradigms are going to be the things that we're going to do the deep dive. I know that's a lot to get into, and I can't wait to hear more about this. And I know a lot of you guys probably can't, too. There's a whole lot of things we can explore. We look forward to doing that, learning more about architecture and specifically architecture as it exists here at Texas A&M University. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.